Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. Where are we? In the village to talk about the latest episode of The Prisoner that we're watching, A, B, and C. Or as it looks like when the uh, credits are up on the screen, A, band, C, with for some reason a period in between. the B. There's no space between the period after the B and were, the word and. Yeah, you were complaining about the kerning in the, in the tunnel. <laughs> I don't know if it's kerning or they just missed a space or what it was, but have, have we talked about the font yet? No, we haven't. Mm-hmm. The greatest font, perhaps, in the history of the world. A font so great that, uh, probably not the exact thing, but um, for a while, um, when I was doing invoicing for freelance work, the uh, my name at the top of the... <laughs> At the top of the invoices was in this font, or at least something very, very close to it. It is. Uh, it's called Albertus font. That's the the origin of the font. But they tweaked a couple of the letters, like the eyes don't. Like we're watching the DVD menu in front of us, the eyes don't have dots. As you can see the E's are like lowercase capital E's. So it's it's uh, ironic in a way that you use that font, the Albertus font. Or maybe use the prisoner font. Some some. Version of it because the E is the only thing that's probably not original to the Albertus font, but it is kind of mm-hmm. creepy in a way, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty cool. And actually, to tie it in with the the network, I'm pretty sure that I remember um, when I was randomly talking about about <laughs> the, my invoicing font on Slack at one point. Uh, Glenn Fleischman, also of the Incomparable Network, said that he actually designed a variation of the Albertus font, which very well could be the exact one that I used on my invoice. I honestly don't know because it was just some random thing that I downloaded off the internet. So it could have been something that, that Glenn designed. Did, is that is that Glenning? Did you just do a Glenning? Ah, I totally did. This no. is our first. This is, is it Glenning when you're actually talking about Glenn though? I don't know. I feel like we've reached some sort of weird inception. Mm. That's true. I'm trying to think of famous Glens that I've met over the years, and mm-hmm. there aren't that many famous Glens, mm-hmm. apart from Glenn Fleischman, two-time Jeopardy champion. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, A, B, and C, um, where number two and number 14 trap um, or kidnap um, number six, drug him up, invade his dreams, and influence to try to learn who he was selling out to when he resigned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is. I, I did not remember what which episode this was, what was going to happen when it started, just by the title. And then as we got into it, I kind of remembered more and more. And I really like this one. Um, I find it interesting that he says to number two, "Your predecessors mm-hmm. have blah blah blah." So you know, the ordering controversy really needs to be in it. You know, place number three <laughs> at the at the very earliest. So yeah. appreciate that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say that this one was shot either tenth and or eleventh. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that was shot also tenth or eleventh is an upcoming episode called The General, which is which aired sixth mm-hmm. originally. Uh, features Colin Gordon, who played number two in this episode, as number two in that episode. So that's the only time, apart from Leo McKern, mm-hmm. uh, who will come back later on in the series, uh, who plays m- number two in multiple episodes. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I I really liked I really liked um, this number two. He <laughs> drinking milk yeah. and coming like poop 
popping up uh, in his his little chair in his his bathrobe, which is definitely the best bathrobe of the uh, mm-hmm. of the episode. And uh, with his hair all messed up, can't sleep because he's just he's just head over heels over number six, mm-hmm. and he just he can't sleep because he can't think about anything else. Oh, it's delightful. He was in uh, Doctor Who around the same time as he made this, I think, or if not, maybe he made this slightly before. He's in The Faceless Ones, which is uh, to come in uh, Lazy Doctor Who. So you might recognize him there. Mm. I look forward to it. I know. Mm -hmm. It's fun watching... Uh, Doctor Who actors turn up in the you know because watch finding Doctor Who actors in anything is one of my favorite pastimes. So yeah, I was I, there wasn't another Doctor Who actor that I recognized, but I really felt like Number Fourteen here had a very serious Liz Shaw vibe going on. Yeah, you definitely even the scene is very much you know Number Two is basically the Brigadier to Liz Shaw's <laughs> Number Fourteen or Number Fourteen's Liz Shaw in Spearhead from Space. The very, very first Pertwee story. I love how we're talking ahead to future Doctor Who episodes. <laughs> or, but whatever. I got into the show because I, I like Doctor Who and I knew that this was made in Britain too. So mm-hmm. you can forgive me that, right? Yeah, it all yeah. ties together. Mm-hmm. No, um, I, I definitely thought that. And I, I, I realized as we were watching this that I think in our, our first episode of In the Village here, mm-hmm. uh, I said that I wanted to do a segment where I say which character I would like to cosplay mm-hmm. most. Yep. And I don't think I did that in the last episode when we talked about the Chines of Big Ben. Um, and I don't actually remember it well enough to say who, you know, so I can't like fill that in. But I can say... There's not a lot of competition in A, B, and C. I really didn't feel like... I mean, there's a bunch of party dresses and stuff. There's actually one extra who is one of the very first party extras that you see, and it's a woman who has this, like, gold top that's, like... I can't tell if it's crocheted or knitted or something, but it's, like, mostly open, uh, and she's got a skirt, and I think, like, eh, that's all right. But I think my number one would probably be number 14's lab coat. I like, yeah, I like, I like it. She looks, she, she looks competent and that is very much the, what her character is. She's one of the, I think at this point is with this is the, uh, the third episode here. She's one of the most competent characters that we have, that we have seen. She knows her job. She does it very well. I mean, if this was a lesser mind than number six, I think, I feel like she would have cracked the case because, you know, she's, she's doing what she's supposed to be doing very well but he's he's got a strong mind to start with and then he follows her and manages to sneak in um through a giant ventilation shaft i mean it's obnoxious that there are giant ventilation shafts in anything because that's just dumb that's not the way it works but this is the friggin' village which is a place where they trap super spies Mm -hmm. after their careers are over you'd think that maybe you'd take a few more precautions than that you say that she's competent. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure just because, you know, he Miss Number 6 wakes up in the process of being <laughs> like uh sedated mm-hmm. and thus recognizes her and therefore can uh um meet her in at the cafe the next morning where she says I can't remember the line now, it's something like, you know, well, we all make mistakes, mm-hmm. we have to uh or something like that. Right. And then when she's speaking through the phone to be in the dream she says that exact same line does she we don't actually see number 14 saying that we only see the spy b saying that so is it 14 saying that into the phone and him hearing it or 
is that one of the moments where it's just his dream carrying on? Because you see, ah. there, because there are times mm-hmm. when 14 has said something. Uh, we, we're seeing sort of like the wide shot of, of 14 and 2 and the screen. So she says something, and then we see the character on the screen saying it without cutting into the screen. It's still the wide shot. And then without 14 saying something else, B on the screen speaks again. Like that... So so we know that not everything that B is saying in the dream is something that's directly oh, said mm-hmm. by 14. I'm pretty sure, unless I'm remembering wrong. Um, so so there's definitely his brain still filling in some of the gaps. So it could be that she's just, you know, I wouldn't say incompetent. I would say that she's trained as a doctor. She's not trained as a spy necessarily. Um, so either either she kind of messes up and says the same thing to him there. Or this is just another example of number six being very strong, which I think him waking up in the first place from sedation is just another sign of that. And him putting it together already at this point, you know, he's he's asking her questions, you know, what's your what's your kid's name? How old is he? All that sort of stuff. I my headcanon is that he simply had determined, ah, this is what's going on. I figured it out. It's number 14 or, you know, yeah, number 14 who's who's behind all of this. So so his brain just simply has B say these same words that 14 said before. I felt like that was him in the dream poking at her from within oh. as opposed to her screwing up and saying those words from without. That the line when she does say that when B does say that line, that's the last straw, mm. but number 6 catches on immediately. Mm. You know, I wonder if they will kill me is the first thing that uh, after much deliberation, number 14, like you said, she's just a scientist. She's not a spy. Like she actually says, what do I say? Hums and haws about it. You know, I don't know why number two didn't pick up the phone at that point. Yeah, well, I don't know why number two didn't feed her lines to say. He's the one that's supposed to be in charge of this whole thing. Just, I don't know, just say anything. Well, okay, who's incompetent now? Yeah, boondoggle. It's a boondoggle. I don't know. Yeah, that's why why we presume number one is... uh, on the phone to number two uh, several times during the course of this episode. Yeah. yeah. And, and who is possibly male because he keeps saying sir. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have seen things where, you know, a woman who is in charge is still called sir, but... Like in naval uh, instances, yeah. So, so I mean, so that's not definitive, but it's it's something that, something that you notice. I mean, whoever it is that's on the other end of the phone is somebody who has, has got number two in quite the tizzy just like number six mm-hmm. i have thoughts about that uh, this feels like almost like spoiler space uh on your babylon 5 podcast but uh, when we review episode 17 let's hope i remember that um you know when about number one and everything like that um well we're we're not really worrying about spoilers we have talked about multiple episodes in and out of order and stuff so if you have something to say say it mm, no i'll wait i'll wait comfortably yeah Okay, yep. that's a hashtag, hashtag big time teaser. Oh, well, you mm-hmm. never know. So, well, we discovered like, you know, some people might have just bought the DVD or Blu-ray and are watching along with us, but I've, we've found out that it's just actually somewhat difficult to buy unless you already own it because it's the Blu-ray, the one that I have, uh, which was put out, I can't remember who distributed it, but but Network DVD in, in the UK created it, came out in 2007, no longer in print. So you have to really scramble to find it. It's freely available in the UK still. Uh, and then there's the hugely overpriced original DVD version that A&E put out. 
in the 90s, I want to say, that was a 10-disc set Whoa. for 17 episodes. Whoa. Yeah, it was so expensive and dumb. I, Of course, I bought it, but I think I bought it for super cheap, I think. And then like a couple years later, this came out on Blu-ray, so I, I lapped this up. But So we hope that you are enjoying the show and able to actually watch it, but hopefully you're enjoying Lazy Doctor Who and being able to watch episodes <laughs> that don't even exist. So this is one step better, I guess. Yeah, anyway. Yep. Um, I quite liked the the touch that his water is drugged as well yeah. as, as, well as so he's, he's got the little cup of, of cocoa or tea or whatever it is that uh, that they, they make for him at night and he <laughs> finally catches on and is looking straight at the camera and being smug as all get out as he very like determinedly turns the tap to turn on the water yeah. turns it off kind of looks over it and you know drinks it and, <laughs> and then drops it and it makes the greatest splooshy splash yeah. way up like head level it's like mm. five and a half feet in the air and then down he goes oh that's great yeah well one thing that i've always noticed about this uh the chemistry between uh, a and number six subtext oh that was that was that, that peter bowles who plays a and that you know i don't i know i don't want someone i want you that's like he's <laughs> like don't, don't just late through that whole scene it was subtext with uh, which is was amusing to me that's funny. I know he says we used to be friends, and in my head, like the theme song to Veronica Mars started playing a long time ago. We used Dead, to be friends. Andy Warhols, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of music, I love the the uh, music for the dreamy party when it comes on. It's one of my favorite scenes in the whole show. This is a dreamy party. Many times I have gone into a party and <laughs> and yelled that. Because, of course. Of course you have. Why does this not surprise me at all? I do love that sequence, though, with the, you know, the Dutch angles and the camera kind of moving and the the weird, you know, scene with him at the mirror. There's, there's actually a sequence in Breakfast at Tiffany's that just, it's not that similar, but it really kind of reminded me of a party scene where the camera is moving and following people and it's just kind of hip and there's music going on. And there's actually a sequence where somebody is staring at the mirror um as well i recall i recall that i think yeah mm-hmm. i can't remember when, if we watched because i had never seen breakfast at tiffany's uh until you showed it to me and i can't remember if we watched that pre or post your first time through the prisoner i don't remember i mean i had seen it like a dozen times before that but yeah but but chaotic party scenes mm-hmm. seem to be a thing in 1960s film and television <laughs> i don't know what it is that was the thing to do i guess with the same kind of well not exactly the same kind of music but the music was was somewhat reminiscent of the you know kind of kind of funky jazzy sort of like hey this is a party and <laughs> yeah. and yeah and i i i didn't even realize that the uh the woman with the purple psychedelic dress on, it's the same dress that B was wearing in the previous dream. Uh, you had to point that out to me because I was just noticing, ooh, cool dress. But then, then he says, oh, you know, haven't they killed you yet? It's like, mm. ah, yes, sure enough, this drug that he diluted is not working on him very well because he's really remembering everything, which I love the fact that they leave this so open-ended. You really don't end this episode knowing any more about his his intent to resign than you do at the beginning mm-hmm. they think they do um, 14 and 2 think that he didn't resign that they know at least that he didn't resign because he was going to sell out and I think maybe we're supposed to take 
take that on as well. Mm. But I don't think the text necessarily bears that out because even at the beginning, we get, you know, he's he's very strong, strong-willed. It's clear he wasn't going to sell out to A. Um, like that's that's pretty clear because mm-hmm. as, as you put it maybe they had a very bad breakup <laughs> and uh-huh and then so then we get B where he still has the drug working in his mind but he has sort of figured out that something is going on but not until later on so during the beginning of it you get this like clearly he knows a lot about this person and cares about her I think to some extent he knows that she's got a a, a child that's not even mentioned in the files mm-hmm. so that's something that they must that he must know about them about her that's not a uh, common knowledge but they put together this list of a b and c as people who he might sell out to which means she's a spy from the other side or somebody else or a third party or something. So I find it really interesting that he has this close relationship with her, who is a third party, and we never find out maybe he was going to sell out to her because he figures out mm-hmm. before the end of the dream that there's something fishy going on. And and it's only the impatience of number two mm-hmm. that propels them. Oh, quick, we have to, you know, let's get on with this. Let's put words into her mouth. And that, like, instantly number six becomes suspicious and, mm-hmm. and backs away. If if things had been allowed to play its course, I suppose maybe they didn't have enough time because the drug right. would have lost uh, effectiveness and, mm-hmm. and he would have woken up. But um, yeah, He would have burned through it, as she yes, said. burned through it because, of course, he's very defined. I love that his his default dream on a loop is basically him storming down a hall and resigning mm-hmm. um, which says a great deal about the personality of number six and also I think it was it was nice that they used that shot of him you know slamming open the doors uh, which you know just kind of a nice nice scene and in a dream and stuff so so yeah I I feel like we don't really know anything else because they they kind of screwed the pooch from the second dream mm-hmm. onward and so we don't even know for sure in the third dream if C really was Madame whatever the heck her name was mm-hmm. because that could have been entirely something that he fabricated in his mind because the drug wasn't working on him in the first place and they say oh you know we didn't know this about her she's been fooling us all these years but no more you're going to bring her to the village yes so he may have just he may have just made it so that this this amazing woman who holds these great parties and is just delightful uh that maybe she's getting brought to the village and she has no idea <laughs> like why well, i mean she probably has some idea because obviously she mm-hmm. she throws parties for spies yeah. but she might not actually be as plugged in even as she's made to seem in the stream uh Apropos of nothing, there's another person in the party scene, the, the woman who gives the earring mm-hmm. to number six to bet on number six mm-hmm. on the roulette wheel. She appears later in an episode of The Prisoner. So <laughs> I thought she looked familiar. I wonder if I'm just remembering her from that later episode. You probably are. Um, also, it, it, this probably was, this is a, this is a, a, um, defect, I suppose, of, of high definition transfers now because 
it looks gorgeous. The series looks superb on Blu-ray, but I'm wondering if it gave away a little too much detail when we see the mysterious person who's buying it. You can see glasses <laughs> underneath his his sort of head sock that he's sort of wearing, and you can kind of make out that it's Colin Gordon who plays number two, and sure enough it is. I imagine you probably wouldn't have been able to detect that back in uh, 1967, though. Probably not as clearly. Um but, you know, lots of people wear glasses and probably lots of people wore big honking glasses like that at the time. So, but no, you are right. It is, uh, it is a little bit, uh, a little bit obvious, but, mm-hmm. but perfect. That is yep. so, that is so number six to like plug that into his dream mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, rub their noses in it basically. And then what a surreal scene where his next part of his dream is him opening up the door and like walking down the hall toward the room that they're in and like opening the door and they both actually turn and look at the real door and of course he doesn't walk in because it's his dream and then he talks to the them on the screen but it's clear that he's talking to the two of them in the room just the the layers of this thing are delightful and then lays down onto the bed <laughs> yes you know <laughs> To begin, basically, get plugged mm-hmm. to wake up or get plugged in. It's you know, it's interesting. You know, the first two episodes that we saw are basically number two and the village holding it over number six. Mm-hmm. You know, the, he's thinking that he can get out, but clearly he's not because everyone in the village is one step ahead of him. In this episode, he is one step ahead of the village. Everyone is trying to get the answers out of him, and he is playing them for chumps, mm-hmm. basically. Which is why I think this is uh, one of my more favorite episodes. I mean, who knows? That might change in, in a few weeks mm-hmm. because I don't remember the rest of them all that well. But uh, I do like it when number six has a, at least a little bit of a leg up. I mean, and and this is a nice balance balance of that because he's still not getting out. Like, there's, there's no hint of him getting away. But so he's still in the village, which is a thing that I enjoy. And he is kind of you know top dog when it comes to what's going on in in the plot in this episode which is nice mm-hmm. also very trippy you know mind altering mm-hmm. drugs and stuff this is very 1960s mid 60s and with the whole idea of like looking into dreams and stuff very science fiction probably more so than more episodes in this series i don't know i, I seem to remember there being a lot of episodes that have completely not realistic technology i feel like this really is people think of it as a spy show but it's a science fiction show it's really a science fiction show it is a a hip swinging 60s psychedelic science fiction spy show that's a lot of s's it is Mm -hmm. but it's worth it Mm -hmm. it's great a b and c so you like this one then i do i really like it a band c thumbs up Thumbs up. All right. That's it for this one then. Uh, Next up in the viewing order as originally broadcast in the UK 50 years ago is Free For All. So that's the one we'll be watching next if you're listening to this podcast in the order of its release. But feel (laughs) free to mix around this podcast to, to match whatever viewing order you think is best for you. Yes. We, we will give you that amount of freedom in the village. (laughs) Be seeing you. Be seeing you.